Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Game podcast in collaboration with Eurosport. It's myself, Ola. I'm back in the starting lineup. And with Dej and with Dot, it's a great time. What were you guys saying? I'm good. I'm good. Ola, you definitely took your opportunity in the last game. So back to back starts. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Ah, oh, okay, wicked. Okay, um, we have got a packed, packed, packed schedule. Obviously, we're into the last sixteen knockout rounds. We got teams and games going all over the place. Um, let's start with Belgium versus Portugal. That was the last game uh, just before we recorded. Um, which was, again, a very interesting match. For me, I was all over the place watching it on the timeline, not very happy with the refereeing or with the standard of football, but it was dramatic to say the least. How did you guys see it? Obviously, Belgium won 1-0 from a fantastic talking Hazard strike. But uh, you think it was fantastic? <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> first of all, first of all, obviously, this game was the, the tie of the last 16. Belgium and Portugal, the number one ranked team in the in the world and the European champions coming head to head. Before the game, I thought, you know, this is going to be a real fan-friendly, pleasing on the eye contest. But what actually transpired was, it wasn't really impressive. You had sort of two teams that went for control without really being threatening. And when you think about the creators on the pitch, like Hazard, De Bruyne, there wasn't many, you know, openings that were being created. You know, Jota had that chance in the beginning, which he should do better. There were some free kicks, some long-range shots, but all in all, the game didn't really live up to the billing. And I think Belgium looked very, very tired. But Ole, you mentioned the goal. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think Rui Patricio, like he's one of the top goalkeepers in the competition and he has to do better. <laughs> when I first saw the goal, I was like, wow, what a strike. And I saw the replay and I thought this ball, was, yes, it did swerve a move, but it was very, very central and he should have got his palms onto it. Yeah, there's too many times where I'm seeing Rob Patricia make mistakes. And I think Dej said he's one of the best goalkeepers in the Euros. I disagree. I don't <laughs> think he's great. I think if you're going to go to the next level, you need a better goalkeeper than him. And I think, yeah, I don't think that was great goalkeeping at all. I think that's a very, very poor error. If Jordan Pickford had done that, we will be asking serious questions. But Going back to the game, I mentioned it on the previous episode that this is going to be a very, very, very tight match. There's going to be no more than two goals. And it was what I expected. Both teams trying to control the game. 
both teams basically waiting for mistakes or a moment of magic. And obviously, we did get that moment of magic from Torgan Hazard, but it was a goalkeeper mistake and Belgium ended up getting the win. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah, he didn't quite set his feet. I, I love the strike. Um, it was definitely on replay, like definitely a bit more central than than it might have looked from behind the goal. I like I like the vibes. So I'm here for that. Um, it was supposed to be the game for Lukaku and for Ronaldo, neither of whom really made that much of an impact. Um, what did you make of the management of this game? Because like like uh, like Dutch said, the the Belgian players looked really tired. Uh, you've, they finished the game without Hazard or De Bruyne, which looked like a serious serious issue. How far do you think they can go? Uh, going forward, looking this tired, and also with 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 the sort of level of managerial experience or managerial now that has been shown in this game, at least anyway. Roberto Martinez, his reputation is enhancing all the time. Like we remember him leaving Everton and sort of thinking, like, where is he going to get another job in the Premier League? But now he's being linked with a Tottenham job. But regarding Belgium's prospects in the tournament. It's a tough one because they've got Italy next. And with Kevin De Bruyne coming off again after we saw him come off in the Champions League, that's very, very worrying because he's their chief creator. And Eden Hazard as well. He looks like he might have pulled his hamstring or suffered a bit of cramps. So that is worrying because I watched the first half of the game against Denmark and De Bruyne and Hazard both weren't playing. And Belgium looked really ponderous, really running out of ideas like they haven't got a clue almost. And coming up against Italy, I think that's a bad style matchup because Italy are a team that not only can they create chances, they know how to solidify and they've got that, you know, crazy record without conceding a goal, although they did concede against Austria. Yeah, I mentioned it. I think, you know, adding Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard and Witzel takes Belgium from a tier two team to a tier one team. We just have to wait and see how serious the injuries are. I think the Brenners one did look a bit nasty. Hazard looked like he's probably going to be out for a week or two as well. So I expect them to miss that game. But again, it's knockout football. So it's impossible to call. The other day, I would say Netherlands may sneak their way into a final <laughs> and we see what happened to them. So I think Belgium, Italy is going to be, I think all these big games are going to be tight matches. A lot of people are expecting goal glance or 3-3, three, 2-2, three, two, two, but I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be a tight game again. And I think potentially we may go to extra time. No, it's very true. It's very true. I think knockout football, like you said, Dot, is pragmatic. Um, I think a lot of pundits and a lot of people have been talking about that. And as much as people, especially like myself, want those thrillers, um, they're not coming. And we have to just accept that. Let's go back a little bit um, further into the uh, into the round of 16. Um, we had Wales-Denmark. Um, Denmark completely thrashing Wales. It was very, very professional, comfortable for, for, for Denmark. And yeah, it just looked real easy. How did you guys see it? Yeah, for me, this was the performance of the tournament, if I'm being honest. I really, really enjoyed watching Denmark and... A lot of people look at the score and think 4-0, but this could have been 6 or 7 if we're being totally honest. They were exceptional. And it's not only the goals, it was the build-up play, the creativity, the attacking freedom. And Welsh just couldn't cope with it. I mean, Damsgond, you know, the young Sam Sampdoria midfielder, 20 years of age, lighting up the tournament. I'm sure he's going to be linked with some top clubs after this Euros, but... 
it was a brilliant performance, but I think Wells could have done more. I think they let themselves down. Although I think there were shocking decisions from the referee. I think the red card was was a terrible decision. I think there was a foul in the build-up to the second goal. But that's not an excuse to get obliterated in that sort of fashion. And Denmark are a tricky team because they'll be looking at their side of the draw and they'll be thinking, hold on, can we actually do this for Christian Eriksen? Like, can we get to a Euro Championship final? Because the door is open. They have a favourable quarterfinal draw and then it's potentially Germany or England or another two teams from the other side of that um, draw. So so the door is open for any one of these teams to grasp the opportunity and take it. So going back to the performance, it was it was lovely to see. And I think the last goal just capped it off when you saw the celebrations of all the players just, you know, celebrating. And this is for Christian Nelson. I've said it before. This tournament for me is irrelevant. Denmark have already won it, in my opinion, with the way they handled the Christian Eriksen situation. Yeah, it's it's actually bigger than football. That performance we saw, you know, it's like the Denmark fans took over the stadium. The players were playing for them. But just to talk about Wells briefly, the first 10 minutes, you could actually see Gareth Bell causing problems. Then what did the manager do? Or what does any good manager do? Okay, they think, okay, we've prepared for that. Christensen, step into the midfield, block off that space. And I thought that was a key tweak of the game that changed the course of the tie. And I was a bit shocked because I know Robert Page is probably a bit wet behind the airs at this level, but he didn't seem to adjust these tactics. And that was sort of like the beginning of the end for World because, again, they look leggy. You know, Chris Gunter came out after the game and said, this has been a joke of a setup of a tournament. We've had to travel to Baku all over the place, clocking up the miles whereas Denmark have had more favourable run-ins. But I still think, yeah, that performance that Denmark put on was fantastic. But also Wells, you know, this is the last 16 of a competition. They didn't help themselves. Yes, there was a foul on Kiefer Moore leading up to, I believe, the second goal. But Nico Williams, that, that's bread and butter. You have to be, you know, clearing that. You shouldn't be taking any chances. And I just think, you know, Denmark going forward, they'll be backing themselves. You know, it's this is... For Christian Eriksen's legacy, you can see there's a sort of siege mentality that's come amongst the team. And when you've got that, it's very, very difficult to stop. And team spirit is what all underdog stories are built on. We saw Leicester City, Kasper Schmeichel was there. And this has got that similar feeling that every single game they step into, they're just going to overwhelm you with their energy, with their excitement. And they've got quality as well. Even though there's like sort of teams like Denmark, Czech Republic, there's not much that's splitting them. But they've got players, you know, Kasper Dolberg, he stepped in. Holson was leading the line over the last few games, but he came in and he looked quality. That first finish, the outside to in, you know, they, they look a very, very good team. So they can do anything in this tournament. We've seen it over the years where underdogs, you know, win it. Like, you know, Greece or Turkey, these sort of teams. We've seen that. And Denmark have got that sort of vibe about them. Definitely, definitely, they definitely do. Um, let's just quickly touch on Wales because it wasn't great. Dot, talk to me about Nico Williams. Talk to me about this game, and also talk to me about like where does this Wales squad go? Because you've got a very, very, very aging Gareth Bale putting that lightly. Um, you've got Aaron Ramsey who hasn't had the best season, and he's also getting on a bit as well. And they are their best players. Um, if their best players 
aren't going to reach the level and can't carry the team. Um, what happened to this team? Is this the end of the road for this Wales generation that was plucky and we saw in, in Euros in the World Cups as well? I don't know. I, I, would I say it's the end of the road? Probably. Obviously, as you mentioned, Gareth Bell's not getting younger. Aaron Ramsey hasn't been at his best for the last 24 months, should I say. Um, Neko Williams, is he good enough to be a leading right back at international level? I'm not sure. I know he started from the bench, but he came on. Um, it's, it's a difficult one because obviously they lost their manager in the build-up to the Euros. So I don't want to be too harsh on Wales. They showed a lot of spirit getting through that group because it was a tricky group and they've done well. But I think they just fell short against a fired-up Denmark. And a lot of the times it's fine lines in this game because we watch it, we see 4-0. And I said earlier, it could have been 6 or 7, which I do agree it should have been 6 or 7. But if that free kick gets given, can the game change? Do Wells get set piece and it's 1-1? One, one and then all of a sudden it's a completely different game. So... Is it the end of their golden era? I wouldn't say it is a golden era, but are Wells going to get any better in the next few years? I don't think so, because I think Gareth Bell is on the decline and Aaron Ramsey hasn't played to the level that we know he can in a long time. Okay, let's move on to the Netherlands versus Czech Republic. We've all had Netherlands um, having a, a sneaky run into this tournament and they could do potentially... Like uh, like Dot, you said, uh, sneak themselves into a final. Um, unfortunately, that definitely did not happen. <laughs> Even though they did, they played amazingly within their group stages. Um, I think uh, the level of coaching kind of showed um, in this game against the Czech Republic. <laughs> um, Czech, uh, like in my notes, I've just got Czech Republic played tournament football. Like we said, they were pragmatic. They got their goals and they got out of there, and that was about it. <laughs> Like, um, and the Netherlands just didn't have anything uh, to respond to that. Um, the game definitely did change. And within the span of 29 seconds, I think they said, um, where where we had Marlin, a Netherlands player, yeah, yeah Marlon threw, threw on goal, should has have put it away. Better, has to do better. Get really your shot off. Exactly, exactly. And then a red card to, to delict right after that. How do you guys see it? Was... Yeah, was that literally the simple matter of fact of the game? The Netherlands just weren't prepared for this and they fell short or was there more to it? Before the tournament, I actually had the Netherlands as my big team to actually flop. And I think in this game, they showed all the reasons why. I said at centre-back, they haven't got a leader. Van Dijk will be, you know, hugely missed. And I said, when I look across to the touchline, I don't see a manager that can sort of compete in knockout tournament football. And all of those things came to a head. As you mentioned, Ola, Czech Republic, they're a team where there's no fancy dance. They just go about their business, very efficient. They look for the set pieces. They've got a lot of tall players. But one good thing about them is you have to work for everything you create against them. And that's a great basis for you to build up. And when I look at Holland, you've got Gini Wijnaldum. Is he world-class? No. Is he top-class? Maybe. When you look at Memphis Depay, is he world class? No. He might, some people might say. Top class? No. no. <laughs> so, some people might think he thinks he's better than what he actually is. And this is the sort of game you need those guys to step up to the level, those big key players to show what they're about and lead you into the next round of the tournament. And we didn't see that. They didn't really create chances. Daniel Marlin should have done better, as we mentioned before. 
But defensively, Mateus De Ligt, this is a player that had huge hype around him when Ajax had that fantastic Champions League run. And when you speak to Juventus fans, they say sort of like he's flattered to deceive. He's come in, he had a bit of a rocky time. Yes, his form did get better, but that error that he made to get sent off, it was panic stations. He had mm. a brain fart. You know, it was panicking, thinking, oh, I've lost my bearings. I need to react. But more experienced pros, they sort of just say, okay, I've made the mistake. If you're going to score, score the goal, then we recoup from that. And ultimately, okay. that ended up costing his team because from that moment, you know, De Boer didn't adapt. He was very pragmatic. It was a negative style of football. And I think, yeah, it sort of reminded me of England's game against Iceland all those years ago where everyone just sort of had a nervous breakdown on the pitch. This is why we have to be very, very careful when it comes to hyping up young players. Because I remember at the time when De Ligt was putting in these dominating, commanding performances at Ajax, people were saying, what? Like, this is the next greatest defender. This player is already better than Virgil van Dijk and he's like 20. <laughs> and yeah. that error that we saw over the weekend sums up De Ligt. Because I've seen that too many times from him. And the minute he let that ball bounce, you saw it coming. Mm. I said, there's a big issue here. And as Dej just mentioned, a smart defender or intelligent defender who knows the game, who reads the game inside out, will say, you know what? I'm done. Let them score. But my team don't go down to 10 men. And it's all well and good saying, oh, Czech Republic won the game because, you know, Netherlands went to 10 men. But not really, because Netherlands' performance after going down to 10 men was embarrassing. They gave up and you can't mm. give up in tournament football. We've seen 10 men, you know, pull surprises where they stay compact, they stay tight at the back and they spring on the counter-attack and they still manage to win the game. But after the 55th minute, Netherlands gave up and they were atrocious. It was a poor performance. It was really poor. It was really poor. Is Sorry, uh, on all the 50-50 battles, they were losing. Look at the goals. I mean, Wijnaldum, what, yeah. what is that? That's, that was a player that was on his last legs. Like, he was fatigued. He's played a long season. He's played over 50 matches this season. He's reached the physical plateau. And you saw that in that second goal. But you've never seen that from Gini Wijnaldum. At Liverpool, he's been the energiser. So maybe that shows to the point that it's like the players had an emotional breakdown. They didn't know how to react. They were probably looking for guidance on the touchline from the ball. But it wasn't really coming. Uh, and when you hear people in Holland sort of talk about De Boer, they say he's not really personable. He's not in press conferences. He's quite divisive. He doesn't know how to sort of create a group. And we sort of saw that at his spell at Crystal Palace. And yeah, that, that was a bad look for Dutch football. And we were sort of hailing them saying, yeah, they're reproducing the total football. Yes, when we see teams play to their top potential, when everything's going great for them, it's easy to look good. But they had a bit of a crisis and they cracked, you know, they failed and ultimately they're out of the championship and they had a great opportunity mm. to get to the final. And, and that's why I said sneak into the final because I don't think this <laughs> Dutch team is great. I don't think they're an amazing team and that's the reason why I mentioned them sneaking into the final. But I think the only player that can say, you know what, I gave my all yesterday was Denzel Dumfries because yeah. I think he was excellent again. A lot of energy, marauding down that right side, you know, Lots of crosses, lots of passion. And he, he he had the fight, but the rest of the players on the pitch didn't share that same fight as him. It's true. 
It's true, it's unfortunate. Someone is definitely gonna snatch up Dumfries sooner rather than later. Let's look ahead to the future. Um, we've got Croatia versus Spain and France versus Switzerland in the very near future. Um, Croatia versus Spain, it looks like it's going to be a midfield battle. Mm. <laughs> um, we'll see what uh, these two teams can produce. And France versus Switzerland, it's going to be a very interesting game as well. Uh, France, obviously, the favourites to win the tournament, but Switzerland aren't, uh, aren't slouches and they can definitely surprise some teams. So let's start with Croatia versus Spain. How do you guys see this going? Yeah, Modric won't be having to come up against any of his Real Madrid teammates after what Luis Enrique done. But this one is a very, very tough one to call. Um, we've seen Spain throughout the tournament. Obviously, last game against Slovakia, they came to life, scoring five goals. But before that, it's been all tiki-taka with no sort of end product. Whereas Croatia, they've sort of warmed into the tournament. Modric delivering that masterclass against Scotland. So... They've blown a bit hot and cold. So do you go for Croatia's experience? Have they got another big performance in them? Or can Spain ride the crest of a wave that they've been obviously had since the Slovakia game? And I would probably have to make Spain slight favourites. I think they're fresher. I think that last game, again, tournament football is about peaking at the right time. So that last performance might make them think, you know what, ah, we've got it. Let's just go forward and execute against Croatia. And I think the performances I've seen from Croatia, they've looked tired, you know, against England in that first game. They didn't really have any attacks. The football wasn't cohesive. They looked short of ideas. And I also watched them against Czech Republic and it didn't really change. They can only play in spurts. They had that moment after, you know, in the second half where Perisic scored the goal, but they can't really put together 20 or 30 minutes of consistent football, whereas I think Spain can. And I think ultimately that will probably be the decider. I think this is a tough game to call. I think it's 55-45 in favour of Spain, if I'm being totally honest. I don't want that 5-0 annihilation to be a false sense of security for Spain where they think, you know what, we've cracked the code. We're one of the top teams in this <laughs> tournament. I think they just need to do the things that serve them well, pass the ball, keep the ball, win the midfield battle. And eventually, because they create so many chances or half chances, one or two probably will end up going in. And we saw that in the last game where five ended up going in after missing in a lorry, missing a lorry load of chances in the previous game. So it's going to be tight. I think this is another game that we may see extra time. I think maybe a potential nil-nil after 90 minutes with Spain nicking it in extra time but I'm back in Spain I've got a soft spot for Spain I like the way they play football I think they play football the right way but they just need to be a bit more clinical in the final third Do you think Marassa will score? To be honest he got a standing ovation when he got subbed off in the last game which was good to see so the Spanish fans know that he's giving his all for the badge and I think that's all you can ask for is he going to get his goal? Of course he is, because he keeps getting into the right opportunities to miss chances. And eventually, if you keep doing the right things, you will get rewarded. And Luis Enrique gave him a, a vote of confidence, saying that he will start. He's my man. Um, a writer's come out and said that he's been receiving a shed load of abuse on social media. And it seems like the Spain team have rallied around him. They've noticed that their mate needs some support and, and they're going to give it to him. And I think this is a game that he can sort of set his mark and say, you know what, I've arrived in this tournament. We've seen him have, you know, complications when he's been at Chelsea as well. A lot of the fans didn't really warm to him. A lot of people say he's got a soft mentality, 
But okay, if you've got a soft mentality, it's up to the manager to recognize what the player needs and give it to him. And that that's what Luis Enrique seems to have given to him. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, France versus Switzerland. Quick one on this before before we adjust our predictions to say who's going to win and who's not going to win this whole tournament. But France versus Switzerland. Um, for me, France are the clear favourites, but the team cohesion hasn't been to the same level as we've seen it at the World Cup. Um, they've obviously got a fantastic team and, and, and have all the powers at B to pull something off. Um, but again, it's about taking your chances. Um, I, think, I think they should be able to, to take those chances. They've got all the quality, quality players and quality finishers to take their chances. But again, Switzerland are no slouches. They've got, I think, they've got a better team cohesion, um, and I think they've got a couple tricks that can that can really test that um, that France back line. All it takes is a is a free kick and then just poor marking, poor defending, which is definitely something that you can see from uh, Raphael Varane if he's not switched on, um, and and Presnel Kimpembe. Like I love him so much, but he's so suspect. And like at at different times, like my man. <laughs> will just completely forget <laughs> that he's a professional footballer and turn into a Sunday league footballer and take someone out for no reason whatsoever. And uh, that scares me, being a Francophile, being someone who loves that French team. But how do you guys see it? Do you think that France will switch on, put on a professional performance? Will Will Kante come in and save the day or will Switzerland sneak one from the uh, world, championship, world champions even? I think when you say you want to see goal glass. I think France are probably the only team that I can see having those kind of games. Um, Switzerland, they're a tricky team because they're always there. And they have players that can do magical things. And that's my worry, that Shakiri can just smash in a 40-yarder or Granite Shaka can just say, you know what, I'm going to just crack in a, a rocket into the top corner. So they always have that threat. But if France don't win this, this will be a massive, massive surprise if we're being totally honest. They should have enough to see Switzerland, um, you know, out of the way. So I would expect France to win pretty comfortably. I think the first 45 minutes will probably be tight because Switzerland will be very stubborn, robust defensively, you know, close down the spaces in between the lines. But I think eventually the quality of Paul Pogba, Anton Griezmann, Kylian Mbappe will shine through in this game. Mm, this game kind of reminds me of the Italy versus Austria game where you sort of had one overwhelming favourite. People are saying, yeah, this is going to be 2 3 4 nil, but the game doesn't transpire like that. And I think the first 15, 20 minutes are going to be key for Switzerland. They need to make sure they keep a clean sheet, make sure France get frustrated, make sure they're not cohesive and they don't give them anything because... That's one good thing Austria done for that 90 minutes. They made sure, you know what, you're going to have to work for everything you get. And I just struggle to see Switzerland defensively holding tight. I don't think they've got that profile like a hungry where they can sit in that low block for sustained periods and shut out, you know, the Kylian Mbappes, the Benzema's, the Paul Pogba slide rule passes. I don't think they've got that. But I think a key player for them Obviously, Doc mentioned Xhaka and he mentioned Shakiri. I think Brio and Bolo, I think on the counter-attacks, he's speed. He's going to have to, you know, relieve pressure on his teammates from time to time, you know, winning free kicks, getting them high up the pitch. But if I'm to make a prediction the long way around, I'm saying France will win this, maybe 3-1. I like but it. What, what, what I would say, lastly, is the difference I've seen in France is when they won the World Cup, they were a team. 
And when I watch them now, they seem like individuals. It's we need a moment of brilliance. And Bappe bail us out, Griezmann, score a goal from anywhere. And I think that's gonna be a big problem going further on in the tournament. And also, just lastly on this one, before the tournament, there were sort of murmurings and Bappe was coming out. He wanted to stage a press conference against Olivier Giroud because I think Olivier Giroud came out and said that oh, they're not passing him the balls. And mm. when you start hearing those cracks emanating within the four walls of your dressing room, it's not, not a good sign at all. And, you know, we've sort of seen that seep onto the pitch. Like, it's not been cohesive. They've relied on a brilliant ball from Paul Pogba or Griezmann or stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it won't be a problem in this game. But as Dot said, in those delicate moments where there's fine margins, these are the sort of things that can come to a head and cause problems. Exactly, exactly. I think it was our mate uh, Carl Anker from The Athletic who said France are due a breakdown and it really might be <laughs> this game where we see total chaos. And I'm here for total chaos. <laughs> So speaking on that, with Total Chaos, with this tournament, who is going to win this tournament? Who's going to be in the final now that we've seen a couple games develop? I've said it, and I've I said it in the last round. Italy versus Germany. That was That's what I went, went for. They're still both in the tournament. Obviously, I'm cheating a bit because Germany haven't played yet. But, yeah, well, Italy looks look strong, if I'm being honest. I don't see France making it to the final. Mm. Thinking Belgium... But again, that depends on De Bruyne and Hazard's prognosis with injury. Because I think if they're fit and firing, they can actually beat Italy. Because what I saw at Wembley, there's a few cracks that I believe Romelu Lukaku could exploit. But if both of them are fit and frying and they start against Italy, I would say Belgium will get to the final. And I think this Germany, England, I wake up one morning, I say England are going to win it. And I go to bed at night, I think Germany are going to win it. It's a, it's a tough one. But I think England have got a big performance in them. You know, Harry Kane has come out and said, tournament football is about peaking. And this is the correct game to peak. So you know what? I'm going to say England are going to beat Germany. And I think England... Yeah, England... I think Denmark... Versus, you know what? You know what? You know what? I like I like an underdog story. I'm gonna go with Denmark, and if Hazard and De Bruyne are fit, Denmark versus Belgium. I love that. Very quickly, if Jack Grealish and Saka start, then England win. But they're probably not gonna start. Mm. It's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. These predictions are making fools out then, of everyone. Trust me. Trust me. I'm going to chuck my hat in the ring real quick. I'm going to say uh, France, Germany in the final is going to turn out kind of like uh, kind of like the Champions League final. But I think, uh, and if it does, actually, I really feel like Germany might be be the Chelsea in that situation, which would be awful as much as I want France to win. Um, but yeah, I'll go with that. And I'll go with that. And, and on that note, we run out of time. That's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys for joining me. And uh, we'll catch you very soon for the next one. For myself, Allah, it's over and out. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 